Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Witherslack Group, experts in special education and care, and John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you. So welcome everyone to today's show. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I've got two guests on my show today. In the first half of the show, I'm going to be interviewing Sarah Adnuga, who is with us right now. She's a senior leader. She's been an English teacher for a long time and held roles across both curriculum and pastoral. Um, I have so many questions I want to ask her. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm well. Can you I hear can, me? Good morning. Really, morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. So I thought I'd start with asking you to just introduce yourself for everyone. Um, yeah, so my name is Sarah Agnuga and like Yasmin said, I'm a senior leader in an alternative provision where I am in charge of um, English. So I'm an English lead. Amazing. Thank you. And um, yeah, so I know that you've had like a range of both curriculum and pastoral roles and that currently you are a senior leader. So um, just could you just briefly tell us across teach? Actually, before I ask you that, can you just tell me what actually inspired you to go into teaching? Oh, um, what inspired me? So I studied English literature um, as an undergraduate for my degree. And um, I actually didn't want to become an English teacher. Uh, that was the last thing I wanted to become <laughs> because everybody assumed because I studied English literature, I'd be a teacher. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, what a massive insult. Why would you say that to me? Um, and it's such a shame that sometimes, um, I guess, like teaching as a profession is not that, doesn't appear to be appealing. Um, even nowadays, when you ask students, you know, they'll say, why would you become a teacher? So I had that mentality. Um, and I wanted to get into like broadcast journalism. Um, and then when I finished my degree, my friend said to me, why don't you consider becoming a teaching assistant whilst you are looking into getting into broadcast journalism? So I thought, great, I'll work in a school as a teaching assistant. Um, and honestly, it was the most rewarding experience of my life, um, helping those students with particular learning needs, um, building those relationships with those students and actually just seeing a difference, like the, the huge difference that teachers can make to um, a student's life. You know, you are the person that is equipping them with all the knowledge and the tools they'll need to succeed. And I just thought to myself, I actually want to be at the front. And some of the students would say to me, you know, I really get it when you explain things to me, like, why don't you get to the front and start teaching? Uh, and then after that, I decided that, OK, let me become a cover supervisor. So I was a cover supervisor in quite challenging schools in South London. Um, and I was a literacy teacher as well. And I just felt that actually this is my calling. Um, I just enjoy it. I enjoy teaching children and I enjoy seeing the progress they make. And that's how I then decided to uh, do a PGC. Um, and then, yeah, 
so I'm a teacher. <laughs> oh, Sarah, that's honestly such a lovely story. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of, I mean, I've met now, especially because I'm in alternative provision, I've lot, I've met a lot of people whose careers started off as TAs or LSAs in schools. But, mm. you know, I feel like in mainstream, it's more common to come across teachers who just did, you know, either PGC or Teach First and often didn't have any careers before or any other roles in a school before that. So that's really cool and interesting. Um, did you ever, have you ever considered... Or after you became a teacher, did you ever think about journalism again or were you just willing to let it go? Do you know what? I think I was willing to let it go because yeah. it's, it, I don't know, how many, I just feel like teaching is a profession that is, you just feel like you're giving something back. It's incredibly rewarding. Um, you learn something new every day and every day is different. It's yeah. exciting. Yes, it's stressful, but um, I guess you kind of really see the rewards when you've got a student in your class who perhaps hated your subject initially and they love it. You can have like great conversations, debates. Um, and then when you see those students that you once taught and they're doing amazing things once they left school, you just think to yourself like, what other job can do that? Yeah, no, totally. I'm so happy that you did go into teaching. I, I think that's probably why we've crossed paths. I'm so happy that you did it. <laughs> and I know that you have such a nurturing personality as well. And I feel like you are suited to teaching better than anything <laughs> else. Um, so the next thing I wanted to ask you is uh, when you first went into teaching, did you have any specific like ambitions? You know, like how some people know that they want to go into curriculum or pastoral. Mm. And do you feel as well, to just add to that question, did you kind of feel maybe a little bit pigeonholed or did you feel as though because you're a black teacher that uh, like did you ever hear that you'd be really well suited to pastoral um no so I I started off with curriculum and teaching and learning and my biggest thing I would say is teaching and learning um mm -hmm. I think I would describe myself as quite like a dynamic teacher where I like to ensure that students okay I remember how bored I would get sometimes if a teacher was constantly talking at me you know I'm, I'm the type of person that needs to be involved and participating as a student so I I like to kind of um, observe my students and I realize I'm talking too much when I see that their eyes are wandering so I'd say that in my teaching style it's quite dynamic where I try to encourage my students to be independent thinkers and from then they become more confident in being able to have their own opinions and ideas. So I started off with teaching and learning. And um, through that, it was like teaching and learning mixed with curriculum, designing the curriculum, uh, then mentoring and coach coaching other teachers in terms of their teaching and learning style and pedagogy. But right. I actually got into um, pastoral uh, like quite a bit later down the line. So I wouldn't say I was pigeonholed actually. Um, I'd always started off with teaching and learning curriculum and then I took a break from teaching after about maybe six years. Uh, and then after six years, I thought, let me try something different. And that's when I got into pastoral. That's really cool, because that's another thing as well. I feel like it's not that common for teachers to have done you know, a variety of roles in both um, curriculum and in pastoral. So, you know, it's really nice to hear. Um, did you find that transition from curriculum into pastoral challenging, like, what was the transition like um do you know what I did find it challenging because I think with um pastoral it was very much about okay so the difference is I felt like with pastoral you can build relationships with children kind of outside the classroom 
but I I'm someone who likes to be very creative and I felt that in the pastoral role I, I couldn't be that creative I could be creative in terms of thinking about um what to include in a pastoral curriculum however I I miss being creative in the classroom I missed um looking at how teachers can improve their pedagogy and I think that that was the biggest transition for me kind of um, moving away from that creativity. I don't know how to explain it, but I would say that that was the biggest challenge, kind of yeah. moving away from that. And also I find that like in teaching and learning curriculum roles, you have a bit more time to yeah. do your work. Whereas in the pastoral role, your time is taken up by so many different behavior incidents. And I just found that frustrating that my time was always taken away and I didn't have the opportunity to strategize a lot of the time it was that like reactive yeah whereas in it yeah so that's kind of was the biggest challenge oh yeah no I completely get what you mean like pastoral that's exactly the you know the word that I had in mind I was thinking it's really reactive in the sense that mm. the role always kind of relies so heavily on the behavior incidents that happen and you yeah. can you know you can never plan ahead for those because you don't know what drama is going to kick off on any given day at school um but that's you know that's really really cool and you know funnily enough my next question that I was going to ask you is about um when you were in curriculum and you Ooh. were creating schemes of work for English but I will quickly share and I won't say who I earlier this morning sent a text around to you know some of the teachers that I wanted to listen to the show today and um, I mentioned that I was interviewing you and a certain teacher basically said to me, oh, Sarah sent me or shared, you know, these resources with me at the start of the year. And it ended up being the best lesson that I've taught to these particular <laughs> children. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm definitely going to uh... Sarah. <laughs> so I won't tell you who, I'll tell you after. So but I think that does lead really nicely into uh, my next question for you, which is... Um, when you were creating schemes of work for English, like what did it entail? And do you still use the resources that you made in that role? Oh, um, when which role do you mean specifically? So, or uh, do you mean... so when you were, so um, I read- Do you mean your, like when I, yeah, go on. Yeah, so I read your bio on the directory and it, had, it basically said that you had experienced creating resources. I think this was in a departmental English role. Okay, probably lead practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your question is like, what does that entail when I create schemes of work? Like what, yeah. what does that entail? Yeah. Um, okay, so for me, even I would say that I apply this logic now. Um, my goal, my goal in terms of leading English, leading curriculum is I want children to enjoy English. Um, I want them to see how powerful English is as a subject, but also that it's multifaceted. Um, English is all about being um, open-minded, independent, critically thinking, kind of asking questions, debating, but expressing those ideas eloquently, verbally um, and in writing, but also being able to comprehend words and the power of words. Um, I think words can help to persuade your ideas. They can help to um, empower you. But at the same time, if you don't have access to vocabulary and words, you can lose out. And I always say to students that, you know, if you're reading a contract and there is a bank that is trying to um, take advantage of you, how would you know if you don't understand the words that are on the page? But equally, English 
can help you to escape from the real world you know it can um give you a sense of escapism and imagination it's just so all-encompassing like English is a wonderful subject and my vision is for students to understand how amazing English is so from that I would think about okay um what do I want them to leave with in key stage four so I want them to be able to um navigate their way around the world and around society but also to um understand like the power of language um and I know that from that they need to pass their exams okay that's obvious reading speaking and listening writing um literacy but then looking at the text that they have to study so for key stage four they look at Shakespeare 19th century texts um and poetry but then I think about okay how can I introduce those type of texts kind of lower down but introduce texts that they particularly enjoy because if you have um, a curriculum that's already in place in a school, let's say, for example, um, I'm going to just kind of throw a text out there, like Women in Black. I taught Women in Black um, at my school last year, and a lot of the students kind of found it really boring. Oh, my gosh, so boring. Like, why do we have to do this? Um, and some of the texts are also quite outdated in terms of their ideas, where they don't, they're not really relevant to the student nowadays. Um, so... Most recently, I think what's been grateful about uh, working in this alternative provision is I don't have the liberty of forcing them to do a text. No matter how exciting I try to make the teaching of it, if they don't engage with that text, I've lost them. And um, I will introduce kind of exciting text. So, for example, I'm going to start, um, I'm going to introduce next year Ghost Boys. Um, which is a text that is about, I mean, I, no spoilers here, but um, it's about a black boy who is um, killed by a police officer. And um, this is really relevant to, I guess, society nowadays, especially with the George Floyd um, incident. And I would say that in my curriculum, I like to look at how the text that I choose to engage the students and um, ensuring that, they develop and learn the key skills that they need to be able to be successful in key stage four and in life. So that's my kind of, my main kind of rationale. And yeah. in terms of like with poetry, um, some of the students find poetry daunting. They find it boring. They're just, they think to themselves, do you know what, I hate poetry. So yes, they have to study, po the, you know, the poetry cluster. So for example, we do like, power and conflict in key stage four but actually how do I get them to enjoy poetry from early on from key stage three and then kind of with that spiraling curriculum they revisit these skills and then by key stage four they get to GC they're like do you know what I've done so much poetry in key stage three I'm well equipped for key stage four but actually how do I lead them into poetry so songs they love songs they love uh rap I kind of try and think about the different genres and then um, I will kind of get them to think about poetry is everywhere. It's not just in these poems that you see in an anthology. Actually, what's your favourite artist? Um, and your favourite artist is a poet. Then we look at language devices in poetry. And then from that, they appreciate that. Oh, OK, do you know what? Perhaps English isn't so boring. Perhaps poetry isn't that boring. Um, I'm not going to think so narrow minded. I'm going to be a bit more open minded. So I hope I've helped to like, yeah.
<laughs> oh, Sarah, honestly, I love that. I love that. And I think it sounds amazing, you know, that you're trying really hard to make the um, curriculum relevant to, you know, wider societal issues. I really love that. And just I was thinking, as you were saying, do students still have I remember when I was at school, we had that anthology that had, I think, four poets. <laughs> Does that exist? <laughs> it does. It does exist. It's been it's been updated and adapted, oh, wow. but yeah. So we still have those like the same poets from school, like Simon Armitage and Caroline Duffy. Yeah. Still in there. I yeah. remember. I remember that so clearly. I don't. Know and John Agards. John Agards. I, do, does that thing? Did you do half cast when you were? Yeah, half cast. That. Yeah, it's not in I there remember, anymore now. But I remember checking that. out my history, the newest version. Oh wow! I actually think I might actually go check it out. I also remember one a page that had it had like a picture, like a drawing of a, a jeep, and it was something about oh, um, nothing happens. Nothing I don't happens. even know what it's called. I don't know what it's called, but um, it was something about yam and yeah, nothing <laughs> happens by me. Yeah. Wow! I can't believe that still exists. Does the poetry live thing that trip um every yes. year? Yes. Oh, yes, wow. that still happens. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. But that's really nice to know. Like, I know that um, not every teacher gets to contribute to what is decided or determined to, you know, mm. part of the cut for the curriculum. But that does sound really nice, and I think it is really important for children to be learning about things that maybe are more relevant to a wider society. And I can imagine that does probably increase their interest in certain subjects. Yeah. Definitely. And it's like what you said in terms of not all teachers are consulted. So I think with my teaching, with well, with my leadership style, um, I like to take more of a collaborative approach where I will meet with my team and ask them, OK, what sort of text do you think would be beneficial for these students that you think they would enjoy? What sort of text have you taught before that you felt were really effective and actually um, we should continue to teach? What text do you think that we should get rid of? Um, and you know I just think that it's important to work collaboratively because you know these same teachers are the ones that are teaching the children who you want to succeed so it's important that um, they have a say as well because I always felt like sometimes I wanted to say like actually I don't want to teach this text my students don't respond very well to this text like can we change it so um, I kind of appreciate that whole consultation and collaborative approach which I think is effective I love that honestly I love that so much um, and also I have always thought that um, because English like everyone knows English and maths right they're really important GCSEs you know they're um, GCSEs that you'll always be asked about wherever you go in life you know people always care about what you got in English and maths and, and you know they're the only two double weighted subjects I do sometimes worry about you know do some teachers feel under a lot of pressure um, do they mm. for that reason try to stick to what they can or what they know how to teach like do you feel that you ever face kind of pushback sometimes if or or have you found yeah. collab- collaboration or being collaborative have you found it's always kind of worked for you so you're right I think there are some teachers who um they don't want to try new text because of the demands and the pressures to get results and they feel like oh it's going to take more time um and my time is already precious I don't have that you know that extra time to try and develop something new um I think that again the perhaps the lack of confidence maybe they're really used to a text and they're used to teaching it they've got all the resources there already if they think well what's the point when we've got everything here um but ultimately I always say like the end goal is that we want our students to love English and enjoy English 
And if they're not engaging with the text, how will they succeed? How will they love it? Um, and we kind of, I, I, I kind of get them to think about the common goal. What's your common goal? And it's about um, sharing the responsibility. I think that's the thing as well. Like not everyone needs to, or like an individual shouldn't feel like the responsibility is just on them. It's kind of working collaboratively and being given being given the time in school to work collaboratively. So like, for example, in like inset days, department meetings. And then I think once you sell it that way, then there is no real way to object is there. It's like, okay, the the outcome is for the students. This is what we want. We want them to love English. And actually you don't need to worry about um, developing these schemes of work resources in your own time. Like we'll find time um, in school to do that. And then I think that's when you have your team on side. I love that so much, Sarah. That's so nice to hear. So for anyone that's joined us now, I'm just currently in the first half of this show today interviewing Sarah Adenuga, who is a senior leader and has held a lot of different roles in the English in as an English teacher um, across various schools. Um, she's now also transitioned to alternative provisions after um, a really successful career in mainstream. And if anyone wants to ask her any questions, you're more than welcome to jump in at any point. Just request the mic and you're more than welcome to ask any questions. Um, so, Sarah, the next question I wanted to ask you about was what is a pastoral curriculum and what does it entail? Like, what do you do? Um, so, pastoral curriculum is a curriculum outside of the typical academic subjects. And it's a curriculum where you, where it's helping to develop the emotional uh, development and mental development. So anything that is not being provided for in a normal kind of academic curriculum. Um, so thinking about perhaps their mental health, providing them an opportunity to talk about um, emerging issues in society and the community, um, equipping them with those skills to be able to make the right decisions, to be, to think about like equality and ensuring that they are, um, I guess integral integral members of their community and society so that is more of like the pastoral curriculum so the emotional and I guess physical and mental well-being of that child and their development and character education so everything outside of the academic curriculum. That's really nice um, and I really like that you've worked you know both in curriculum and in pastoral you know it's really nice to hear the collaborative approach that you take as you know a curriculum leader but also how much you plan for and care about um, the pastoral side of school so the next question I wanted to ask you is I know that you've been a racial and social justice facilitator so I wanted to ask you like what is that and what did you have to do in that role so just tell us a bit about it yeah so that was in my last school um and it was it was an amazing role um because it was embarking in Dagenham actually and um they the whole role was basically you met with other racial and Joseph's race and social justice those are my words <laughs> um facilitators in the borough um and you discussed about how to um how to ensure that your school was inclusive and promoted equality in every facet of the school. So the key areas um, were curriculum, leadership and student experiences. 
Right. And we met with all the facilitators in the borough to discuss our schools in those three areas. We developed an action plan in terms of, okay, well, actually the first thing we did was we like kind of did a review. So kind of reviewed like what is in place at our school already in those three areas and how to improve it. Um, and it was really, it was fantastic because in my particular school, we had a working group for those three areas right. and the head, um, he, he was fantastic. Like he was at the forefront of it and we would meet with him. And I think once you've got the head on sides, it just kind of um, gives this real importance for this initiative. So we met with the heads once every half term in the working group. And as a facilitator, I would go to uh, the meetings with the other facilitators in the borough, kind of bring back what we learned. And in these meetings, they would invite, um, you know, key people. So they would invite like leaders in the borough. Um, they would, um, and we would discuss about, okay, how can we ensure that there is in inclusivity and equality in our schools? Then from what I've learned, I would come back to the working group, share what I've learned, and then we would think about how to implement it in the school. So that is kind of what that entailed. Um, and it was great because it was, we actually developed more of an inclusive pastoral curriculum from that. Um, we helped to develop more of like student voice because I created a student voice, um, a student leadership team actually in my last school. And it was great to kind of use them for this initiative so that they could review their own student experiences. And then, um, from this particular group we met with heads of heads of departments to think about how to make sure the curriculums are more inclusive where students feel that the curriculum represents them so the academic curriculum and the pastoral curriculum and it was always a work in progress so it's like okay we've done this how can we move on how can we do better um also from that we were able to review the behavior data and from the behavior data we saw that Afro-Caribbean boys were overrepresented in the um, internal exclusion data and detention. So we thought, okay, what's going on here? Is there sort of like unconscious bias training that needs to happen? Is this the data that needs to be shared with staff? So a bit more aware of, okay, we're realizing that these particular uh, students are being sent out all the time. So I guess the whole initiative is to ensure that we are constantly checking ourselves of looking and reviewing and thinking are we ensuring that we are inclusive in our practice that the students feel a sense of belonging in this school and that's kind of yeah that was yeah, the role Sarah that's honestly that sounds incredible and you know it sounds like it's really clear that you you know dedicate a lot of time and effort into you know scrutinizing the practices in schools and trying to make the school environment you know a, a safe and happy place for everyone not just you know as an English teacher but also as a senior leader I will ask you later on about um this uh, student leadership team um mm. the next question oh also I was gonna say it's also really nice to hear that your head teacher supports that like you know it's a yeah. really time like we all remember earlier this year there was the um child Q inquiry that was um you know published and everyone found out about what had happened at a mainstream school in hackney and you know it did create at least on twitter it did it created a lot of discussion around the experiences of black children in mm. 
city schools. So, you know, it's really nice to hear that. And it's extra nice to hear that your head teacher was, you know, really supportive of that. Could you actually give us an example of anything that you, you know, when you went to these meetings across the Barking and Dagenham Borough that, you know, you picked up on and maybe were able to either introduce or modify in your school? I mean, you gave a really nice example there about the black boys being overrepresented in detentions and in is there anything else um um i would say let me try and think anything in particular another question sarah actually that kind of is related to the same thing um how did you find um the attitude from or how how did the wider staff body in your school take um, so was there like a particular way? Did you just used to go to those meetings and then come back and feed back to the head teacher? Or mm. was it something that you guys relayed back to all staff in like staff briefings? So um, I would relay back to the head teacher and the working group. So there were about five, five of us in the working group and each of them was responsible for the, the strands that I mentioned. And from that, they would go, so let's say that um, there was one or two people that were responsible for the curriculum aspect. They would put um, an item in the agenda for the next um, heads of departments meetings. I would say, right, this is our item to the agenda, race and social justice, and they would feed back to them. And I guess from that, there isn't really opportunity for resistance because you've got the head who's at the forefront of this, and then you've got your working group. So, and I think ultimately they understood the importance of this initiative and the fact it was for the students to feel a sense of belonging. So, I mean, I guess there might have been slight, just like maybe slight criticism from some people that would kind of say, why do we need to make, why do we need to make the curriculum kind of more like why do we have to address these things in a curriculum why do we have to include this just for these particular students like kind of the, the all lives matter yeah. <laughs> the all lives matter like but what about everyone um however I guess there were just these silent comments and that was it but you kind of just hear these through the grapevine they don't actually um try to change what we're doing because of that but it's just that slight criticism that you might hear but nothing major yeah no I completely get that and honestly it sounds amazing and you know I do feel like a lot of the time culture is top down so you know if your head teacher as you said was really supportive of that then you know that's amazing and I could see that you know kind of trickling down to everybody and as you said a lot of the time criticism is often only really heard through the grapevine and not directly so Mm. he did was amazing so the next thing I wanted to ask you you know you've had roles in both curriculum and pastoral you've worked in various different schools what was your favourite role? Which of your roles has been your favourite? Oh, um, do you know what? I would say my favourite role was when I was um, I was a lead practitioner and a specialist leader of education. So what that meant was I love kind of coaching and mentoring massively and I love sharing best practice. Um, I get real enjoyment through the like pedagogy and kind of seeing how children learn and the best ways to keep them engaged. Um, I like opportunities of like to be creative and it's really nice when you kind of pass on that knowledge to other people. Um, and it's nice to see the, the, 
the mentees that you have thrive. Um, like I've got um, someone who I coached a couple of years ago and she kind of messaged me was like, oh, you know, I'm now a head of department um, and I kind of just, I want to just um, thank you because I feel like I've learned so much from you and my teaching style, I feel like it's like you and I've become a head of English because of you. So it's kind of, it's nice to hear that. Um, so I think that, and it was lovely as an SLE to go into other schools and coach teachers in other schools. So I'd say that that was probably my best role. Oh, I love that. That is so, so nice. Um, the next question that I wanted to ask you is why did you transition to alternative provision and what is your role now? Oh, uh, <clears throat> so why did I transition? <clears throat> That's a really good question. So I transitioned because I wanted to be, so first of all, when I was in mainstream, I honestly felt that I was underrepresented as a black woman. I was always the only black woman in SLT. And at times I felt like my voice wasn't heard. There were things that I felt were important. Like for example, um, you know, if I realized in one of the schools that I worked in, I realized that um, the the safeguarding needs in the local community were really important. Like for example, the idea of um, the concern like with gangs and knife crime. And that was something that kind of really worried me. Yeah. But I felt that if you have SLT that don't, oh, I guess they can't empathize because they haven't been brought up in a particular area or they haven't had friends of friends that have, experienced those you know yeah they haven't experienced those certain things and if I wanted to kind of raise my concerns about it sometimes I wasn't listened to so this is just an example um and I remember kind of saying like you know we need to do more um so I felt like there needs to be more awareness that like way we need to get people to come in and talk about the the dangers of kind of like knife crime and gangs and how to spot like grooming, gang grooming. Um, but I really kind of have to push for these things. Um, and then on top of that, you would have, especially like students, like boys in particular, who would lose faith and lose confidence in the education system. And I was really passionate about mentoring. So I thought, right, can we get mentors to come in and speak to some of these students? that we feel that we're losing in education. But I just constantly felt like it was such a struggle um, to try and get my voice heard because, you know, if you've got someone who doesn't look like these kids, someone who hasn't lived in an area like these kids, like they're just gonna think, well, I don't see this as important. They can't empathize. And I had that, I had that feeling of empathy. And I remember some of the students kind of saying to me that, um, you know, some really challenging students. Actually, they're not, they weren't challenging. I guess they were the students that were constantly sent out and people would label them as challenging and they would constantly come to my office and they'd say to me, oh, we're so glad you're here, like, because we finally feel like we're being listened to. And, you know, we feel like you care. And if it wasn't for you being here, I would have been permanently excluded by now. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, it's such a shame that they feel this way. And they said, oh, you know, we don't really see people that look like you in SLT. When you first came, we thought maybe um, you were you were like a mentor. 
and you know what other people look like you in your position the only people that look like you are you know people that are the cleaners or serving the dinners I thought wow okay that's quite you know that's quite point of them to say that um then I just thought I want to be I want to kind of make more of a difference in terms of ensuring that these children don't feel that um they aren't listened to and actually I want them I want to try and think of ways to stop exclusion or to, not to stop exclusion but to reduce it I would say like reduce actually stop it yeah I want to think of ways to stop exclusion like what kind of early intervention can we put in place to stop exclusion and one of my colleagues actually was kind of saying to me that oh you know you're very passionate about um equality and justice like have you heard of something called the difference I was like, yeah okay I have and then um they said you know I think you should try and give this a go and see if you can work in alternative provision and that's how that's where I am now and initially I would never think of working alternative provision only because of the stories that you hear and the stigma around alternative provisions but working in one it's fantastic it's the best experience oh Sarah honestly I love that and it's so nice to hear that you know in every role that you've held across mainstream across different schools and now even in AP you've always kind of been driven by this care and concern Mm quality and inclusion honestly honestly I love that it's really admirable and you know I feel like in the time that I've known you I've learned so much from you already um the next thing I wanted to ask you is have you noticed any difference between mainstream and alternative provision when it comes to English as a subject specifically but also feel free to just mention any kind of general difference that you've noticed oh so the difference between mainstream and alternative provision when it comes to English yes Okay, so in terms of English, I'd say the curriculum is the same. Yeah. In term- okay, so like the curriculum is the same in terms of like the fundamental, like the fundamentals are the same, but the difference is um, the teaching and actually the resources that you would use. So remember before I was saying that in mainstream, you had these set texts. Yeah. that you teach these children and it's quite I would say restrictive okay you have to teach these texts this is what was done the curriculum the schemes of work this is what needs to be done there's no questions about it this is what you do I would say that in alternative provision it's not like that because remembering that these children have had a really negative experience in school they've had a really negative experience in classrooms and you can't be that restrictive and say these this is the text that you have to study and you need to enjoy this it's about thinking about the needs of that child what is it that you will enjoy how can I get you to enjoy English so I need to try and introduce a text that I know the majority of these children will enjoy and it's normally a text that they that relates to them you know no offense but they're not gonna relate to war horse um and they aren't going to relate to texts where it's about students that, or about, sorry, about characters that they don't relate to. They just won't be interested in that. So I would say the difference in alternative vision is kind of finding, like making that conscious effort to find texts that they find relatable. And once you've got them on side, then I would say in the, with the teaching role like with the teaching um 
aspect of it it's different because you have to kind of be very engaging and dynamic encouraging and I'll say kind of that's the and also patience with with mainstream I find that there is less patience for the students like for example in Northampton you would have students that will put their head on the desk and say right I'm not in the mood today um, I'm really tired and you are instilling that trauma-informed practice, that like where you're thinking about, oh, why are they tired? You know, what's going on? And what can I do to help you? Will this help? There is a lot of um, adapted resources, adapted teaching, where you're thinking about the individual needs of that child. I don't feel that that's the same level of care in mainstream. And I appreciate there's serious demands. You know, you've got a class of 30 children and you, you if you don't have learning support assistant in that class, you don't have that time to sit with that child who's got their head on the desk and say, right, can I, you know, let's talk about this. What can I do to help you? So I would say the major difference is ensuring that the um, the resources and the texts are engaging, relatable, and that you are compassionate, more compassionate. And actually, I would say that my teaching is probably a lot more dynamic um, and engaging because again, these children in Central Region have a negative experience of mainstream and it's trying to get them to enjoy learning again, enjoy being in the classroom again and being very patient and kind of taking the small wins. Initially, I was quite hard on myself when I started on Turkey Vision because there are times when some of the students wouldn't write anything uh, and we're in mainstream, that would be a massive failure for me. But actually, it's like, okay, did they give verbal contribution in my lesson? Did they actually stay seated in my class? And for that, you know, it's kind of, that's progress for me. So then next lesson, I'm going to aim for them to just write, you know, maybe two lines or a paragraph. So I'd say that, yeah, that, that's kind of. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I honestly love that, Sarah. And I could definitely relate to, you know, just learning to take on the small wins. Um, I totally relate to that, like, you know, having transitioned as well to AP. You know, children, there were some kids at the start of the year that wouldn't even want to come to lessons because they've never had a good experience with science. You know, they don't know you. You don't have a relationship with them. You only can start building a relationship with them when they actually start attending your lessons. So it was just kind of like this catch-22 where I completely agree with you. You know, getting some kids to even, at the start of the year, getting them to even come into lessons would be a big win for me. You know, whereas in mainstream, that just wouldn't run. You know, like a child refusing to come to lessons just certainly wasn't something that any kind of, any teacher in mainstream would tolerate or would have to tolerate, you know. And so I relate to what you're saying there and again you know it's so nice that you're coming from a place of compassion you are acknowledging the fact that these students have had a really tough time and you know it's a matter of trying to get them interested in learning again and you know again I find that so admirable so I guess um, I've only got two more questions for you Um, the next one is what lessons have you learned in your teaching career along the way oh um lessons what lessons have I learned? I have learned to actually be kind to yourself. Um, I think when I, yeah, when I when I started my teaching career, in the first, maybe the first five years, I would go above and beyond, above and beyond to the detriment of like my own well-being. And sometimes I would say yes to everything 
even when I knew that it would take an immense toll on my like mental well-being and I think it's important to it's important to stay true to yourself and in a diplomatic way kind of saying when you know actually I can't do this right now but I will do it at some point because ultimately it's about you know I would say that if you don't have your mental health then you don't have anything really like you need your mental health to function so I would say like that's one thing I've learned because I've you know I've kind of gone through experiences where I put myself sorry I put myself last and I'll put the job first and then um there are times when I might have needed that support and I I kind of didn't get it and I could only blame myself it's like well you know I always sacrificed my time for for everything but I never really put myself first I kind of wanted I don't want to give too much but um too much detail but I would say yeah put put your mental health first can you hear me yeah yeah no I can oh sorry (laughs) no I, I totally you know honestly I can really relate to that I think it's an important message. I think it's something that all teachers should hear. You know, I've seen loads of polls. So even like um, Tom Rogers, who um, is the founder of Teachers Talk Radio, did a poll, I think, on Twitter last weekend where he, I think he asked something like, um, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was basically just, it sparked a lot of teachers um, discussing, you know, why they feel like, you know, they're kind of at their wits end in teaching and why they're considering quitting. And, you know, it's really important, Sarah, because I think teaching, um, you know, attracts a lot of teachers that are altruistic that are above and beyond people that are really empathetic and compassionate you know that always kind of go the extra mile for kids and often for staff and I think you know a lot of the time sadly um, there aren't a lot of people who do the same for teachers and so a lot of the time Mm. kind of get lost in all of all that you're doing for others and never really have anyone really pouring into you so like I think that is a really important message you know to put your mental health first and to remember Mm. to like I feel like that is timeless advice for teachers um and finally the last question I have for you I hate this question so I don't even know why I'm asking you but just out of curiosity where do you see yourself in education five years from now or even in the future oh um gosh where do I see myself (laughs) where do I see myself I guess um being at the forefront being a leader whatever that looks like in terms of, I don't know, like being a leader, whatever that looks like. So leading on, leading on improving education yeah. um, to ensure that it is an enjoyable experience for all students. Yeah. Because when I think about education for myself, I don't feel that in my school, I was pushed to be the best I can be. I was always given like a limit. And I remember specifically kind of asking some of my teachers, like, you know, how do I do better? You know, and they'll just say, you're doing fine. You're fine the way you are. No, actually, you can always do better. And I felt that, um, yeah, I don't feel like I was pushed enough in school. And I don't feel like I had enough positive role models in school. So I just, yeah, I want to be a leader where I improve educational experiences for all, regardless of your protected characteristic, like regardless of who you are, where you're from, 
yeah like providing the best opportunities um especially for the most vulnerable I love that so much, Sarah. Honestly, I love that so much. That is so admirable. And, you know, I really look forward to continuing to learn from you and seeing what it is that you do in education. Um, thank you so much for joining me for this first half of the show. Thank you for having me. Um, honestly, thank you so much. Um, feel free to stay if you'd like. Um, for the second half, guys, I'm going to be interviewing... Uh, a former colleague of mine called Zaina Brabani, who one day in her classroom, I uh, was just in her classroom. This was last academic year. I'm no longer at that school, but last academic year, one day I went to her classroom and I just saw like a stack of folders kind of near her desk. And I was like, what's that? And I grabbed one of them and there was, I've actually, um, thanks Tom. Tom's actually pinned it for me um, to the top of this uh, spaces if you want to have a look at it. Um, and I basically stumbled across this thing that she has that's called the wow book or the wow folder. And I took a picture of the front page. So when you first open the folder, there's like this really pretty card that's stuck on there. And it says, it says, dear student, this folder celebrates exceptional work produced by my students, both past and present. Only the very best work goes in here. Here you will find posters, storyboards, poems, creative writing pieces, extended analytical pieces and much more. Do flick through the folder so you can see what exceptional work looks like and can take inspiration. Hopefully, hopefully your work will make it into the special folder too. P.S. A star indicates that the work is a personal favourite of mine. And then it signed off with her name. It's like the best thing. And I mean it, guys. The best thing I've seen in teaching. I never, like, I was so taken aback by it I thought it was amazing but Zainab just before I get you to speak I'm just going to really quickly read the other tweets that are pinned at the top of this um, spaces so the first one hashtag happiness factories across the world a PE movement is growing if you want to listen to the voices of cutting edge practitioners and amazing holistic educators get your copy of happiness factories from Amazon Waterstones and John Cat Ed now available in paperback and ebook. You can just find that pinned at the top of the spaces. Thank you, Tom. And also the With a Slack group. This is your exclusive invite to unpack your seasonal support pack, filled to the brim with webinars, podcasts, and downloadable hints and tips. It really is worth you taking a few seconds to register. Do it now and thank us later. Again, the link is at the top of the spaces. So Zainab, welcome. Can you hear me? Hello, I can hear you. Thank hey, you for Zainab. having me. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, honestly, I have gone on about your wow folder to anyone, like, and I mean anyone that's willing to listen. I find it so inspirational. And, you know, I've, told, I've shown so many teachers since I came across it. And I'm so happy that you've joined me today um, to follow on from Sarah. Like, you're both really inspiring English teachers. And I'm so happy to have you both on my show today. So, Zainab, I thought it would be good to start with asking you to just introduce yourself for everyone. My name is Zina Rabani. I'm an English teacher at Lister Community School and I have just entered my fifth year of teaching this year. Oh, that's lovely. And how have you found teaching so far? Just a complete joy. Everything that I wanted it to be completely inspirational. Every day is just so magical um, and has just surpassed every expectation that I've had of it. You're just so like, you're like the most positive person <laughs> I know. All honesty, like I love that. So I wanted to ask, um, what inspired you to go into teaching? So what inspired me to get into teaching was just the prospect of touching and impacting thousands of lives in a way which is so tangible and so visible. And for one person to positively affect the life outcomes of so many, to me, is just incredibly humbling. 
Um, I'm going to make a reference to my favourite politician, Robert Kennedy Hare, of course. Love um, that. So this was the US president who never was. And when he was asked why he was making a run for president, he simply said, I wish to serve. And I think that really sums up my own motivations as well. I just wish to serve. Um, RFK also said that most of us won't be able to bend history, but we what we can do is create ripples which will create currents. So I guess I wanted to create those ripples that would eventually create currents that could then uh, really shape history. Um, so those are the kind of idealistic, more grander motivations on a pragmatic level, just being able to share my passion, my love for English, spread knowledge, shape minds, uh, encourage encourage critical thinking and really make pupils appreciate language and literature and the magic of words um, and be able to use words in a way that will move others um, and just hopefully creating inquisitive learners as well for life is just a, th a thrilling feeling and, and the best of feelings. Oh Zainab honestly you're like <laughs> you're so <laughs> honestly I don't want to sound patronizing <laughs> but oh my god honestly um, I wanted to ask, and I feel like I know what you're going to say, but I asked Sarah as well, so I'm going to ask you, did you ever consider any other career? No, a vociferous <laughs> no. Um, I <clears throat> excuse me, I never considered any other career. Um, I've always wanted to be an English teacher, and ever since secondary school, I've always wanted to be an English teacher. It was actually in uh, year nine when I had that kind of um, epiphany, like, this is what I want to do. Um, English was always my favourite subject. I always just had such an affinity with the subject. And I knew that as soon as I, I knew that I wanted to study literature at university. Um, and then I would do my PhD as soon as I left university and then get straight into teaching. I love that. And also, um, I mean, I guess nobody else, well, actually one other person, but nobody would really know this. But uh, Zainab actually teaches in the school that she attended as a student. So she was like born and raised in the London Borough of Newham. Uh, you know, she grew up as a student in Newham and now works as a teacher in the school that she attended, which I think, you know, just kind of adds to why I think she's such a great teacher. You know, she understands the cultural context of the children in the local area. She understands the culture of the school and she's played, you know, a really important part in it as both a student in the past and now as a member of staff for the last five years. Um, I wanted to ask you, Zainab, what have you enjoyed most in teaching? I think our students, I think students everywhere are just so special and the list of students are just incredible. Um, I've really enjoyed fostering positive relationships with pupils, seeing pupils make progress right before your very eyes and just for them to achieve both inside and outside of the classroom. Like, a real highlight was one of our students um, winning the Jack Petchy Regional Championship and both Yasmin and I were there to witness it. I think just moments like that, that just keep you going. You're just like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so the positive relationships, seeing them achieve. And I think of my year 11s as well, who have just left, so the cohort who just left the outgoing cohort and who I had for three years, so I had them since year nine. And to just see how far they came from year nine um, and then the kind of essays they were writing in year 11, again, it's very humbling. Um, and I have, what else um, I've enjoyed is being shaped by pupils because because um, with your first question, you asked me what inspired me to get into teaching. And I said, kind of, you know, the ability to touch people's lives, et cetera. Um, but they are touching my life and they are shaping me and I'm learning so much from them. 
Um, and I love that I never stop learning and I'm constantly surrounded by these kind of highly creative and intuitive human beings who um, challenge everything and are so critical. And I, I love that. It's making me, it's, it's just making me a better person day by day. Oh, honestly, I love that so, so much, um, Zainab. So my next question for you is what have you found the most challenging in teaching? So a bit similar to um, what Sarah said earlier, in terms of challenge, just um, I still kind of struggle to have a work-life balance um, and the job can be so utterly consuming and you want to be everything to everyone. And I think just accepting our limitations and the fact that we're not superhuman um, is wise. So I think that's something I definitely need to work on. And I think that is just our, our teacher instinct, as Sarah said, is to say yes to everything, but accepting our limitations for sure is something that um, I can I can definitely work on. Oh, I can. Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Zainab. Now, this is a bit I was really, really looking forward mm-hmm. to. Like, I've been talking about this wild book for so long. Could you please tell us, uh, you know what, for the new people that have joined, let me just repeat it, okay? So um, Zainab is an English teacher at the school I used to work at last year and basically one day in her classroom and she never mentioned it, she's just so humble, I came across like a stack of folders near her very neat and organised desk and I just kind of flicked through it and I discovered that they were labelled, they were called the WOW folders. She had quite a few actually and on the front there was this lovely card that basically said, um, you know, she puts her students' best work in there and so when child is you know feeling a little demotivated she hand she passes around the folder like everything is so like put in such a like a meticulous order everything is kind of protected either in you know it's almost it's in like plastic wallet so like the work can't get damaged it's just so pretty like it's like the best thing I've seen in teaching so Zainab can you tell us about the wow folders like why did you make them yeah so the wow folders are homage to all exceptional work ever produced by my pupils past and present it even includes um work from my pgc students so in my pgc year i would photocopy all of the exceptional work whether that's in class or from assessments and when i got to my nqt year and i started at lister i started organizing everything because obviously i had the desk space um And right now I have four binders. Sorry, my voice is going. Excuse me. I have four binders. um, And as you said, everything's really well organized. And within each folder, you can find a wealth of creative writing pieces, essays, posters. So it's not just writing, storyboards storyboards too. Um, I'm not just celebrating the written word. Um, In terms of what inspired me to create this, uh, I just wanted to celebrate people's work and give it status. And on a personal level, I do just love cataloging. And I hated the idea that uh, pupils um, could be producing all of this exceptional work. It might kind of get read once to a class, they get a round of applause, and that's it. Um, and I think words and art, in the case of the posters and the storyboards, should not have that kind of transience. And um, the impact of a work should be perennial because if, you know that's what literature teaches us. Um, So I thought these works deserve preservation. And it also means that for every single task that I give pupils, they have a model and something they can take inspiration from and something to aspire to. It just creates a buzz in the classroom. Like before doing that task, I can show them all of these um, amazing, amazing works produced by students who, you know, went to the same school as them. And again, that's very empowering. Um, also, I need to give my sister, Alina, who I know is listening, a shout out for this. 
because she did give me inspiration for the WoW folder and kind of how to put it together. Um, so she's definitely the creative force behind this. Oh, that's honestly so lovely to hear. And honestly, like, again, like, it, it reminds me about what Sarah was saying um, in terms of, you know, wanting to kind of champion children for the mm-hmm. kind of things that they do in an English classroom. It's so nice to hear that you gave a lot of thought to, you know, let me not praise a student's work just once. Like, let me actually preserve their work because that's what a lot of, um, you know, being an English teacher mm-hmm. or the things you teach as an English teacher have been mm-hmm. preserved and that's why you're teaching them yeah. and so for you to kind of create like a maybe like a microcosm of that kind of yeah. thing is you know it's really really nice to hear and also shout out to Alina for you know, helping <laughs> you do that um so what has the people response been because I know like when I saw that I was so like taken about I found mm-hmm. it so inspiring I was just looking at it you know both as the perspective of a teacher myself but also you know thinking back to my own student days I was thinking how nice would it have been if you know I kind of not as in if my work had been showcased but I mean Mm -hmm. if I had seen my teachers showcase the work of the students that they teach like what has the people response been? So pupils love these folders and they love reading what pupils before them have written Um, And as I said, before beginning a task, I will read pieces out from the WOW folder and my pupils always kind of buzz for the piece and they applaud and they also feel um, motivated to write something of a similar standard so that they too can kind of inspire that sort of response, like with the applauding and the enthusiasm of peers. Like It's nice for present day students to think that, oh, three, four years from now when I've left the school, Mr. Barney could be reading my piece to students um, and that piece should be getting this kind of love and appreciation. Um, also, having these folders has really set a bar uh, because I always say to pupils, make sure your work is um, WOW folder worthy. So pupils are very eager to get their work into the WOW folder and they always do ask. Um, so recently with my year eights, I was doing some show not tell creative writing um, one of the students read out her work. She was very kind of um, proud of it. I gave her like a merit for it. Um, so that's three praise points. Um, and then um, I said, that's amazing. That's brilliant. Like I gave her lots of verbal praise. The class was buzzing. Um, and even after giving her the merit, she said, will that be going in the WOW folder then? And I was like, oh, going in the WOW folder. Oh, so it's set. It's set a standard. I love that, Zainab. And considering, you know, that um, having high standards is, you know, one of the teacher standards mm-hmm. or as part of the teacher standards, you know, setting like high standards for students. I think this is the nicest example that I know. Like, you know, it's so cute that children care about whether or not you're going to showcase their work, which mm-hmm. I think leads really nicely onto my next question, which is what does it take for a people mm-hmm. to be featured in it? Like, when do you look at a piece of work and think, yeah. hmm, you know, this is going in my wow folder? Yeah. Um, I think it's about creativity. I think it's about having an exceptional response to the task. Um, It's about having, your words should have like a very visceral impact as well. Also, um, I let peers decide as well. So if if a pupil has um, read out their work and peers have a certain uh, response to a piece of work, that shows me that um, the work is wow folder worthy. So like a round of applause or like lots of students, you know, making verbal comments about um, something they liked about in particular. Um, I think you just know when it's wow worthy because there is that buzz um, and it's kind of above and beyond and it's kind of never been done before. 
Oh, that's honestly amazing, Zainab. Like, I just, I just love that Wow folder so much. I can't, <laughs> I can't stop saying it. I love it Thank so you. much, and I can only imagine the impact it has on the students in your class. Have you ever taught like maybe um, siblings, where you've had, um, you've taught an older sibling, and then I'm, obviously I know you have been in teaching that, mm. but I mean, have you ever had like an older sibling whose work has been featured in the Wow folder, who's then had maybe you've taught like their younger sibling who's come into the school. Um, you know uh, in later years and then have you ever have you ever had siblings or mm-hmm. work good like- question good question it hasn't happened yet and also uh, there are so many pieces um in in the wow folder maybe if a sibling is flicking through they haven't like recognized their older siblings on but it would yeah maybe next time i know that i've i'm teaching younger, younger sibling i sh- i can be like oh so and so's work is in is in the wow folder have a look maybe oh. i need to make a concerted effort to do that Oh that no, would be, that would be really empowering. So much. <laughs> so much. Also, guys, I just remembered um, when I looked at those wow folders in her classroom, each page, you know, that it was put in like a meticulous order, but also each page had a label. So it would say something like, This storyboard was created by a year seven student in 2019, or something like that on the edge of the work as well. So, like, honestly, I felt like I was in a museum. Like, when you're looking <laughs> through it, it had, you know, like a short bio or like some something to kind of give you a bit of context as to how that ended up in there and it was just so so cool to just read through it and just kind of flick through and also it's not just one um it's not just one folder she had multiple folders just to give context for how much work she um shares so another one another question I had for you Zainab is have any pupils ever surprised you um do you mean in the context of the wow folder yeah okay um I don't want to say surprise because uh, that would kind of be doing a disservice to people and I never want to make assumptions about what they're capable of. So I'm going to say um, impressed. So I think there was this one piece one of my students wrote in year nine and they were, you were right, they were writing a letter from the perspective of Wilfred Owen. Um, so they were like using one of his poems as a springboard. And this pupil was one of my kind of um, weaker pupils and usually kind of needed one-to-one support and scaffolding. So there was like a rough scaffold on um, the board. Um, And I thought, okay, I'm going to let him get going with the task and then I'll check in. But when I checked in, he he had completed like so much of it without complete the letter so much of it like a significant chunk without using any of the scaffold and then like I read it to the class and we celebrated it um and I I gave him like one of my personalized stickers um so it's like Miss Rabani says this is outstanding work um and then I put it in the wow folder and that was such a such a great moment because that was the first time one of his um pieces got put in the wow folder and again there was that there was that buzz um that he had had such a creative response to the task and didn't need kind of any of the support and especially when he is one of my weaker pupils who usually does need a lot of one-to-one support so that was that was a really really beautiful moment um and a moment that deeply impressed me oh Zainab that's honestly so lovely to hear like I just I love these wild folders so much (laughs) um the next question I have for you what do you tell students in order to motivate them like I know you are by nature a very motivating person you're very positive you know you've always got great things to say about everybody both students and staff I just wanted to ask um what do you tell students in order to motivate them I usually make it clear to my clear to them um, how much I believe in them and I 
I always highlight their creativity and how remarkable they are. And I would always say to them, remember that piece you wrote or remember that speech you delivered. Um, I also speak to them about life outcomes. So with my tutor group, um, I'm always having conversations with them about reading and its importance. Um, and I speak to them. I don't just tell them oh, that it's very important that you're doing acceleration and you're reading. But I speak to them about um, how, you know, reading is the only intervention which works. And so much research has backed this up. Um, and then um, I tell them, you know, things like tuitioning has limited impact, for example. And I speak to them about what reading did uh, to uh, reading did for me and how it opened up worlds for me and how it opened up language. Um, I speak to them about the kind of books that I love, the kind of books that shaped me. So uh, a, a lot of positivity and explaining the why behind the need for doing something, I feel, goes a long way. Oh, amazing. And so what advice would you give to any English teachers out there who want to start their own WOW folder? First of all, thank you so much, Yasmin, for like championing the WOW folder. I think you're the most enthusiastic person. Um, in terms of advice, I would say start photocopying those exceptional uh, pieces of writing. Um, it, it doesn't always have to be writing. It can be, as I said, storyboards, posters. I think it's, uh, celebrate, I think it's important to celebrate, as I said, not just the written word. Um, and I, I would say um, from experience, the photocopying needs to be done immediately. Otherwise, you do forget and you kind of lose track. Um, so I just, when a pupil reads an exceptional piece of work in class, I'll just make a note um, in my planner that I need to photo take that book in and photocopy it in at the end of the day. And then um, just like put it in a wallet immediately, put it in the appropriate section as well. Um, so I say to teachers, get some binders, get some plastic wallets um, and really um, give those folders and the pupil work status and just celebrate it. Oh, honestly, Zainab, like, honestly, it's just it's really, really cool. Like, there's just it's honestly really inspired me, like as a science teacher. And obviously, like science isn't like English in the sense that um, there aren't many opportunities mm. to do a lot of extended writing. But as you said, you know, it doesn't just have to be writing. Mm -hmm. Like my thing in teaching was posters. I love posters. Mm -hmm. I love colour. Like um, I used to have a lot of posters on my classroom door. And when I took them down in the summer when I was leaving the school, yeah. I took them with me. And, you know, I did intend to put them up in my new school. But then I so far haven't because they've got people's names on them. And I just mm -hmm. thought that maybe it's a little bit weird to um, have posters up with their names. So I have considered cutting off the names. But I love the posters so much. So I've actually got them at home. And like I just I have like. I just can't let go of them. I love them so much. But um, your wow book is just another level. And I can just imagine how much it inspires your students. And, you know, thank you for sharing that advice. It's advice oh, that I would cool. so intend to take on. Um, so I wanted to also ask you, why is it important to champion the work of students? I think it's important to champion people work because these are our most creative minds. And frankly, they have better ideas than many adults do. Like even so many English teachers struggle with creative writing. <laughs> um, laughing emoji there. I think it's true though, right? I think as adults, we're so kind of limited and, and we're not um, idealistic or creative. Um, and we definitely um, have these kinds of limitations around us. Um, so yes, they have they have better ideas than adults do. I'll just I'll just say that, um, and they are going to be the artists and the writers and the engineers and the politicians of 
of tomorrow. So we need to champion them because if we don't channel and celebrate and foster that exceptionalism, um, that is potential um, that we are allowing to be lost. And that's actually a tragedy for all of society because I might have the next William Shakespeare in my class for all I know. So I need to make sure that I am championing and celebrating every single child. That's, that's so paramount to me. I love that, Zainab. I love how you just said that's a tragedy to <laughs> society. I love it that. Is. You, you no, are such an English teacher. <laughs> I love that. And I do hope in the future that there is somebody who's come out of, you know, Miss Rabani's class who <laughs> goes on to be, you know, a really successful author or writer or, you know, poet <laughs> or something really substantial in wider <laughs> society. And I hope that when I like flick through the front of their book, you are like listed as one of the people <laughs> that it's dedicated to. Like I really get to see that time. Aww. You really deserve it. Um, Thank you. So uh, the next question I have for you. So I know that you're working in the same school that you went to, yeah. but what was your time at school like? And did you have any inspirational teachers that have inspired you today? I had a phenomenal time at secondary school and I have so many inspiring teachers and I could write a whole PhD um, thesis for each of them. Um, I, honestly, I wish I could be even like a fraction of what they were and what they were to me. Um, so I think of my legendary GCSE teacher, Mr. Hines, who is now my colleague. Um, and again, he just opened up so many worlds for me um like I just think of his lessons and there was such little teacher talk um the emphasis was always on our ideas and I think about how he brought Shakespeare to life and he really made me appreciate the human condition um for example when we were looking at the character of Iago like we really delved deeply into what makes us jealous um how can language be used to exploit how can we look out for um manipulators in our own lives um in what way is Iago Machiavellian let's all of these amazing theories and um all of these amazing ideas and um I remember uh, we can we had this whole lesson on like Othello's tragic flaw and uh, we considered how our noble qualities can uh, be our downfall. Um, and, and those are just the conversations that you'll never forget. I also think of my fantastic drama teacher, Miss Dowling, who I had for four years um, at Lister. And again, a lot like Mr. Hines, she just opened up worlds for me, um, introduced me to amazing literature. Like even the way she spoke about literature, I remember her mentioning The Great Gatsby and how it's one of her favourite novels. And immediately I went off and read The Great Gatsby. Um, and, and from there on, I just loved American literature so much. And I and I think if Miss Darling hadn't mentioned this or that, like I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Or I wouldn't have read the books that I did read today. Or I, I just would not be the person that I was today. So a, a massive shout out to those two inspiring teachers. But I had many more, many more. That's so lovely to hear Zainab. And have you ever um have you ever been able to contact this Miss Dowling? Oh yeah, all the time. I'm still in contact with her. Um when I as soon as I left, I've said everything to her. Like I, I told her about the books that I've been reading, um, how much I loved Revolutionary Road, which is a book that I discovered after reading The Great Gatsby because I did some more research into like, you know, books that I like I like of The Great Gatsby. Um, I told her how I read Jude the Obscure, which again is another book that she um, mentioned that so fleetingly, but, but the way she spoke about it, um, I felt so moved and I, I felt so um, 
motivated to read this book um and again that was like that that inspired me to go and read other Thomas Hardy novels and inspired my love for classic for classical literature as well uh, and particularly 19th century literature and just over the years I've kept in contact with her and I give her little updates and um when I started working at Lister um I told her you know just what she meant to me what an inspiring teacher she was and I hope that I could be just just a little fraction of what she is so she oh. she's well aware of what an inspiration she was to me and countless oh. others uh, that's just so sweet like there's just something so special right about um being able to reach out to the teachers that inspired yeah. us I'm sure I've told you this before Zainab but like at school my most inspiring teacher was called Mr Leveson yeah. like that man helped me so much in my yeah. life he helped with my cultural capital he was like my referee for my first I think six jobs in adulthood yeah. just did so many things for me and yeah. you know when I went to his funeral last year like I was just so overcome with emotion mm. because I couldn't I could never put into words how thankful for him I was but also in every year of adulthood I used to like just appear I used to go back to my old school and just chase him around with thank you cards <laughs> that I'd written for like no reason all the time yeah. so like I did find a lot of comfort in knowing well actually mm. at least I've told him how much he mm. meant how yeah. I am and yeah. that's kind of helped me with yeah. the grieving process but it's so nice to hear and I'm so happy that you were able to reach out to her and yeah you know, um but also you did say that you uh you currently work with your former English teacher, Mr. Mm-hmm. Heinstead. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, what's it like working with, and I know that he wouldn't be the only one, but what's <laughs> it like working with people that used to teach you? Like, is it a struggle? Because I, I have on Twitter, a lot of my old teachers have found me or I found them on Twitter. Yeah. I still struggle. Like my first radio show, I interviewed a head teacher called um, Mutmin Humayun, but I couldn't stop calling him <laughs> Humayun, <laughs> you know, because he taught me when I was 11. Yeah. But um, yeah, what's that like? I think because even as even um, as my teachers, when I was a student, there there was just this level of equality, like obviously professionalism, but there there were people who believed in me. Um, there was there's no kind of they, they didn't feel like there was like a power imbalance, and I I feel the same here. I, it feels very natural to be um, working alongside my um, ex teachers. Um, I I feel very com- comfortable. Um, and they just continue to inspire me. I love I love working side by side with them and just learning from them. And because obviously I really enjoyed their lessons and felt so inspired. Like I love popping into their lessons and kind of unpacking what it is that they're doing because they had such an impact on me. So I think, okay, now as an observer, um, I need to kind of look at what are they doing? Like what are they doing that was so inspirational and how can I then do that in my own classroom? Oh, that's honestly so lovely. I just keep awing at everything. That <laughs> um, I love that. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, what barriers would you say that students face at school when it comes to succeeding in English at GCSE or just in English as a subject in general? Like, um, you know, it could be EAL, it could be deprivation, mm. though I generally don't really like the words, mm-hmm. like deprivation or disadvantage. Like, what would you say um, are the barriers that students face I think um, a barrier is actually the tasks required by pupils to complete. So I've been talking a lot about like things like knowledge and personal response or creativity. And I would argue that the English exams as they are now, they're, they're not kind of um, assessing knowledge or personal response or creativity. So um, the poetry comparison question is a good example of this. So... Um, for their poetry exam, they have to compare two poems, 
um, for us from the power and conflict anthology right and I would argue that comparing two poems which have no relationship to each other just ought not to be a requirement like the it's no use comparing Ozymandias to My Last Duchess right they're not they're not even part of the same movement they're not written um by the same poet I just think it's an absurdity um and with that question it's not it's not requiring you to be creative it's not it's it's not requiring you to have a personal response um it's requiring you to tick certain boxes right both um Ozymandias and My Last Touches convey um, how power can be abused. Um, here's how they do it. Like it's just there's just something so um, there's something so tokenistic about about asking a question like that. Um, so so I would say if if we're going to get students to succeed in English, um, we do need to have like a, a more knowledge-based curriculum that values the personal response that um, requires that requires creativity um and and values those those two things as well the personal response and creativity yeah honestly that's so lovely to hear and it reminds me a lot of what sarah was saying earlier about you know how she's tried to pick texts that the students can relate to mm. you know a wider kind of societal mm. level um so you know it's really good to hear about that so i wanted mm. to ask you next do you have any plans for where your teaching career, where you would like your teaching career to take you? I would very much just like to remain in the classroom and I just want to keep fostering that love for English um, and just be an outstanding teacher of English in the widest sense of the word. So those are my, those are my immediate plans. Um, I'm not kind of Machiavellian enough to have long-term plans. Oh. <laughs> What a funny way to put it, Zainab. But that's just, that's very humbling and inspiring to hear. Um, and just really quickly, just a few more questions. Mm. Is there any advice you'd have? Like, what have you learned? Because I asked Sarah this and mm. you know, I'd like to respond. What have you learned in your teaching career? I've just learned that each day is magical and you just need to embrace it and you just need to be constantly positive. Um, and as I said, know that you're not going to be everything to everyone and you just need to accept that um, and do the best that you can for um, every single human being under your care. Oh, that's su- such an inspiring... I feel like everything... See, this is what I meant at the start when I said <laughs> you're so positive. Honestly, I love that. Like, all your answers Thank are you. so positive. Um, and what advice would you give to um, ECTs? That, I know you are friends with a lot of ECTs and mm. you have you've supported a lot of friends who've been training Mm -hmm. um what advice would you give to ECTs in any subjects really that you know want to succeed as a Mm -hmm. classroom because I know um in particular I know that quite a few English ECT teachers plan to listen to this later today Mm -hmm. I would say um work on your subject knowledge uh have have a real passion for um, what you are teaching and and the material at hand and really know your stuff um, I would say seek advice from more experienced colleagues as well and I think um, just work on fostering those positive positive relationships and just going where the lesson takes you as well um, don't feel like you need to kind of stick to this rigid structure like just I think just embrace those moments those tangents um, that's just going to make your kind of first couple of years of teaching really magical 
Oh, that's honestly so lovely. Really, really lovely to hear. I know that a lot of people are going to listen back to this. Is there anything um, that you now do differently um, in teaching or anything that you now do that you wish you'd been advised to do as an ECT? Um, I would say... I would say I have more like a, f- a flexible approach to my lessons. Um, I think when I first started out, um, I cared more about, uh, I think the creativity was there, but I was interested in pacing. And I think I used to um, give all of, like give a model answer, like a, a teacher written model answer for everything. But I think now I feel more confident about live modeling and it, it's okay to not give something uh, perfect and pre-packaged to my classes because with, I remember with my first ever year 10 class at Lister there was a model for everything like if even if it was the most basic question there'd be like sentence starters there'd be an entire model and it's like you do it but now I feel more um I feel like actually it would be more beneficial for them to see the process live and I'll do it on the whiteboard and even though it might not be perfect as the kind of um pre-packaged model at least they, it, it does feel like they are learning more and they're seeing the process um, and it's kind of more beneficial for them cognitively. So I think in that way I have transformed. Oh, and um, so Zainab, if if somebody wanted to start a wow folder, I'm going to mm. start one, definitely, for 2023. Mm. That's going to be my teaching, New Year's resolution. <laughs> definitely going to start one in at the crew that I'm in. Um, I just wanted to ask you, where would you recommend for anyone who listens to this later um where would you recommend buying folders what would you say are the best what's the best stationery shop oh good question you know what <laughs> i like a classic wh smith so that's where i got my binders from and they're pastel colored um i'm sure paper chase have got some great folders slash binders but um yeah i stick to wh smith for my binders and also just having like that pastel colors well like it's very soft it feels feels like a celebration um so wh smith would be would be my recommendation that's great then i guess that's where i'm going to be going <laughs> to get my binders as well so that i can start with at least one wild folder i hope to have one finished by the end of the year i think it will be nice to get some buy-in with the students um yeah. i found in proves that I mean, the children are really similar to mainstream in the sense that they do care about their work being shown. Mm. They do care about your praise a mm. lot. Mm. So, yeah. um, you know, now I've kind of got, I'd say all of the students on side, they all actually mm. come to their science lessons now. Mm. It would be nice Yeah, start working on projects with them where I can mm. actually showcase their creative work mm. with the exception of year 11, mm. who decided to enter mm. for GCSEs this year. So um everyone else though i'm gonna get them on board and i will be sure to send you photos amazing um so zainab honestly i wanted to thank you so much i'm gonna continue shouting about your wow book (laughs) Uh, thank you thank you for being such an advocator honestly i love it so much and i think (laughs) i feel like i should stop saying (laughs) i've said it so many times i'm sure my enthusiasm i appreciate your enthusiasm but zainab it's honestly testament to the fact that it's just such an amazing idea you know it even includes technically a teaching standard as I said earlier you know having high expectations but in such a positive and inspiring way like I think I've said this to you before but I wish I'd been a student (laughs) I'm older than you which makes no sense but I wish I'd once been a student in one of your lessons I think I would have (laughs) I would have loved it (laughs) Um, so thank you so much for being so inspiring and 
yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I will pass on to you the comments from the English teachers that listen to this later today that unfortunately weren't available this morning, but I know they will play this back. So thank you so much. And um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. And everyone else, thank you so much for having joined today. And I wish you all the very best. Thank and you. thanks to Tom. Thank you, Tom, for hosting. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.